Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the- I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking holiday horror. We're talking baby point of view. And we're talking blood pouring down the stairs. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking a really emotive CGI baby. Ah, boy. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) I have spent a lot of time thinking about this fucking baby. Uh Uh-huh. And... I'm willing to accept it now. I have hated it every single time that I've watched this movie, and that's fine. I think it serves a purpose. I just always wish it looked better. Yeah, it's it's very much... Everyone, sorry. We, we are discussing um, Alexander Bustillo's and Julian Mori's uh, 2007, uh, I'm going to say classic film, Ooh. Inside. Or, Joe, what, what's the other word for it? À l'intérieur. À l'intérieur. <laughs> Still working you, on those R's. I, I, I can't. I can't but to be fair, though, you'll love this. I'm not good at my R's in Spanish either. Okay. Well, there we go. <laughs> Consistency. But yeah, no, I, I, I will agree with you. I, I, I understand the intent here. Mm-hmm. It's just the execution makes it kind of stupid in a movie that is anything but. Yeah. And especially, I mean, I don't know if you have the physical media copy of this. I have owned this since I think the first time I watched it. Mm. But they spent so much time and effort getting the prosthetics right for this. So everything in this movie looks really good because it's real. Mm -hmm. And then we've got this fucking CGI baby. Which it doesn't help that it is the opening shot of the film either. But again, I, I get why it just if it looked better, this would work. It just it looks so cartoonish and very cartoonish. Cartoonish. Yeah. But I'm burying the lead here, y'all. I actually do really like this movie. And Joe, Ooh. I know that you love this movie. <laughs> Fucking love this movie. And you know what? I had some revelations re-watching this, because I've seen this movie hmm, probably like 10 times over the last 15 years or so. Mm-hmm. And I think I realized why I like this movie so much on this turn around because Ooh. previously it's just been a little bit edgelordy like it's such a fucking thrill ride and I think I realized this time around it's because it is so expeditious like this is a short movie and it packs so much into its runtime while also I think having a fair amount to say. I agree with you completely actually and i'm um, listening if you listen to our outro in last week's episode you'll you, i believe i said you know oh i like this movie but it's not mm-hmm. one of my favorites i never really got all the fuss about how intense it was how brutal yes. it was blah 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 blah, blah. 
Um, I <laughs> I found out why that is the case because it turns out I watched an edited version of this movie uh, back in like the 2010-ish era when I worked at Blockbuster. Okay. So I, this was basically a brand it's new watch. It's a brand watch new watch. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movie. I got all the beats, but a lot. Mm-hmm. There are seven minutes of footage that I was Ooh. not I had not seen in this movie before. <laughs> right, and I mean I don't. You know what? I'm gonna embrace my edge lordiness. It was probably the hardest seven minutes, right? Like, they probably cut out all the quote-unquote good stuff. Yeah, there are two full-on scenes cut out of the movie, and then everything else are, like, seconds or split seconds of shots, extra gore and things like that. So, while I can't remember what it was, what I didn't Mm -hmm. didn't see, I mean, there were... Look, the scissors cutting open the pregnant belly, um, I don't remember seeing that. I I know it's implied in the version that I saw, because you know that's what she's doing. Mm Mm-hmm. But to actually see the scissors cutting oh. the flesh, I mean, oh, oh my God. <laughs> oh, my God. We are seeing so much flesh being cut and slashed and hacked. And, and, and it's exhausting. I mean, but you're yeah. right, though. This movie is mercifully brief. We're looking at an 83-minute runtime, which mm-hmm. I I was flabbergasted when I first saw that. Yeah. It feels so much longer in it. Well, I want in a good way, but also a bad way because it's so fucking stressful. <laughs> yes, it's a good bad way, which is how you know you were watching a new French extremity film because this yes. movie takes you to places and then you feel like, oh, my God, I need either a shower or a fucking nap. And I believe, Joe, this is the third French extremity because we have covered both Calvaire and mm-hmm. Martyrs before this. Yes. And of course, we have guested on our sister pod, Nightlight, to talk about high tension. Oh, yeah. That gem. Your favorite. <laughs> People always ask us, they're like, what are you going to cover high tension? And it's like, oh, Trace has already done that. You got to go and listen to <sighs> Prince and his crew. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe we'll do a feed swap and we'll just put that episode on our feed. <laughs> oh, there that's we go. what we should be doing with those feed swaps. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what have we been thinking and doing? So stupid. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I, oh, man. Yeah, this, mm-hmm. uh, this was a very good watch for me i'm glad that you made me made me do this i mean again like i like, like i hate this movie i never did i just again it was one of those things where i just never quite understood all the hubbub especially when compared to other entries in this film subgenre you know and right. of course now that i've seen the uncut version i am a foot firmly planted in mouth there we go you know what i love it when this happens uh not because i get to say "Ooh, i'm right and you're wrong but more <laughs> just because no legitimately legitimately I love to hear you get enthusiastic about something where you are either trepidatious or just not quite sure about it. Like, it's always so much more fun when people are excited about something. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I will say, and like, we won't, we won't talk about the remake a ton in this episode. (sighs) Rachel Nichols, you, you did me wrong, girl. Look, there are two good lead performances in that movie. It's Mm -hmm. just... I mean, and not to say, oh, they changed the ending, so it sucks. But they changed the ending, so it it fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Because here's the thing. There's there's certain things about New French Extremity. And folks, as we said, go back and listen to Calvair. Go back and listen to Martyrs because we outline different qualities of the subgenre. But like when they remade inside for a north american audience in the same way that they did with the martyrs remake yeah they try to give it 
even if it's not like a happy ending, they try to give it a more traditional North American ending, and it just robs these films of their power. Yes, and, and I will repeat a version of what I said in that Martyrs episode, where I think inside that that remake is more is more egregious. It's guiltier of this mm-hmm. because all they're doing is saying, "Let's take the movie, do it, we'll make it a little bit less bloody, and we'll change the ending." Cool, happy yep. ending. Martyrs, at least the whole thesis of the film is changed, which makes the watered downness. That's a phrase right mm-hmm, um sure more acceptable to me if if not wholly successful but it it works in a way that the inside remake where it does not where the inside remake is just missing the point mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah like why did you bother to remake it if you're not actually going to understand what the point of the fucking movie is yeah yes but okay okay so let's jump into how this came to be and there's not a ton of information out here about this so I pulled a lot of this from a 2009 interview with co-director Julian Mori um, from a British website called Sci-Fi Now mm-hmm. so as I said this one was written by Alexander Bustillo but he also co-directed the film with Julian Mori I guess I had it in my head that they were always like childhood friends and just grew up together um, that is not the case <laughs> no <laughs> they were introduced to each other through a friend and Bustillo was a journalist at the time and he showed Maury a first draft of the script of Inside. Maury, in turn, showed him one of his short films, and they, I guess it was a match made in heaven. So they're like, cool, let's make your script a movie. Let's do it. Yeah, similar sensibilities. I ended up watching the nearly hour-long special featurette on the disc, and... A lot of people are like, yeah, you know, we weren't really sure how it was going to work with two directors because they're different. They're completely different people. Yeah. And apparently it was like, no, they will go away. They will talk about something, get on the same page and come back. And it's like, right as rain. That's the thing. I mean, even watching this film, I was like, God, these guys are so fucking stylish. They're such good directors. And first time. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's their, this is their first film. I've only seen a portion of the filmography that follows this. So, yeah, I've seen Leatherface. I've mm-hmm. seen The Deep House, which I like. I've not seen that one. I've seen Among the Living, which I, I kept getting it confused with Livid, um, but Among the Living is the one where like the three boys witness a crime and the killers follow them back to their respective houses in the suburbs. Okay. I actually quite like that one a lot. It's uh, You want some kid deaths? <laughs> it's got it. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and I've heard good things about Livid, but it's one of those ones where it like it comes on and off of yeah. streaming services too often. Like, And I just, I never have an excuse to be like, oh, I've got two hours or like 90 minutes. I can spare. Yeah. I'll just watch this. Like, I think I need us to program it. <laughs> I think, you know what, you know what we need to do? We're just going to have to do, much like we have a toxic masculinity or any of our other themes, we're oh going to have to do a French Extremity Month. Because now that we've covered Inside, we've covered Martyrs, we've covered Calvaire, I mean, I guess we can do Frontiers, but then a, uh. a bunch of other, like, other French films that maybe aren't as widely known... Well, I mean, we could revisit uh, lead actress Beatrice Dahl and go and watch Trouble Every Day. Well, and just so you know, she's also in Livid and Among the Living. Oh, you know what? We should do a Beatrice (laughs) Dahl (laughs) month. (laughs) Let's do it. I support this 100%. Um... Okay, so back to this script, though. So they weren't completely satisfied with Bustillo's first draft and decided to tinker with the screenplay. Um... Because in the original screenplay, the gender of the killer was male. And Mm -hmm. because this film hinges so much on the female identity, I'm like, well, what was the plot of that script then? Was it just pregnant woman attacked by man and that's it? Was there no, was there nothing else to that? I, I don't know. I think it was, and that was definitely one of the stumbling blocks as they realized, oh, we've seen this movie a million times before, so why would we remake it? 
Yeah, so the, the, the first thought they had was to make the killer a woman and go from there. So, um, but then, of course, that led them to think, well, what would the motivation be for a woman home invading another woman? <laughs> mm-hmm. And Trace, we settled on motherhood. Which, again, yeah, you and I have been on record where it's like, oh, I'm just so tired of seeing these arcs for women. It's all about family, learning to like, want to be a mother. Mm-hmm. But it works in this film because even though it's kind of what it's about, it's like, uh, it's not always the, I mean, it is the focus, but it's not the focus because there's so much other shit going on. Hmm. Yeah, this movie seems too complicated. And of course, we'll talk plenty about Sarah's reticence to become a mother in the wake of what happens with her husband and how I think that that really changes the dynamic between the two women in an interesting, more complicated way. To the point where I actually wanted the climax of this movie to go on for another like five minutes before Sarah dies, just so I could see these women like be around each other. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I have some very interesting things to talk Ooh. about when we get to this, because I've read different pieces, and I don't agree with all of them. Okay, I'm excited for this then. Well, interestingly enough, when asked about their influences when making Inside, Maury singled out none other than Alexander Aja's Switchblade Romance, aka mm-hmm. High Tension, as being a great influence for them, saying that it was the first time in France they had seen a real horror movie that was made, that was well made and frightening, and made by a French person, because as we discussed in either that Calvary or Mari's episodes, um, French people don't seem to like French horror films, they only like American horror films, if even that. Well, it's such a deeply ironic thing, because as a Canadian, I often draw upon the relationship that Canada has with other Commonwealth countries. Like, so I make comparisons to Australia a lot, or the UK. And yeah, there's this like tension between what is art and what is financially driven. And a lot of the time, it's like, oh, if you're making a genre film, you're just selling out, there's no art to it and whatever. But that is very much the case in France. It is like, we do not do genre films. They are lowbrow, they are cheap and shitty. But I think something like high tension, whether you like it or not, it makes a shit ton of money and it looks good. It's very stylish. So I think it, it does provide not a benchmark or a foundation, but I think it's a a way for people to look at how do we make a successful genre film in France that can also work on a global scale? Because of course that's how you make your money. Like it's not France where you're making money on these kinds of movies. You got to export that shit global. Well, and that's a, a direct quote from Maury. After watching Switchblade Romance, I had the feeling that it was actually possible to make good horror movies in France. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a bit rude because there's been plenty of other good horror films that have come out of France. It's just like the list isn't huge. It's not like North American long. No, but I think because that was 2003. And I think it's important Mm -hmm. to note that the French extremity. Well, again, I'm calling it a movement. We all know it was coined by some douchebag who hated it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But it started in the late 90s, so it didn't, like, start in the early 2000s. It actually started mm-hmm. way before that. I mean, not way before that, but, you know, a good bit before that. Right, yeah. And, of course, you know, France has stuff like Eyes Without a Face, which is a fucking horror Ooh, movie, yeah. even if you want to say, oh, it's also super stylish and artsy. 
You know, so that was a film school watch for me. And I remember being like, oh, okay, 60s black and white French film, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And some of the imagery in that is just uh, horrifying. I, to the point yeah. where I was like, I can't believe this got made in the 60s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so they were given a budget of 1.7 million euros, which in 2023 would convert to just under $2 million. I don't know if maybe that would have been more back then due to conversion rates changing over the past 20 years, but who knows? Right. Uh, filming lasted for about three months in from October 2006 to December of 2006. Uh, the film was released in France on June 13th of 2007. And it's kind of hard to release a movie like this in France because, according to Maury, the audience at the time doesn't seem to be ready to receive a French horror film. Um, mm. You know, the idea was, well, it's, if it's not American, then it's not good. So, for example, at this time, Saw did huge box office numbers in France. Wow, that is wild. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's something important too. Is like you know, how, while France is doing this new uh, this new extremity movement at this time, we're also going through our post nine eleven torture porn segment. Yeah, which is how they often end up getting conflated, even though, again, one of the key distinguishing features of new French extremity is that. And I'm, I'm not talking down to films from the torture porn era in North America, but mm-hmm. the French films often have far more politically minded things to say. Yeah, I, this might be a gross oversimplification, but I think a lot like, like the saws, the hostels of the world, it's like, OK, yeah, it's just in post 9-11, we're angry, we're xenophobic. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas there's a lot more very specific cultural events in France that, that the extremity movement is pulling from, not just like one thing. Yeah, and it's wild because I've had so many conversations with people about this particular film inside where they say, oh, well, you know, I see the hardcore gore and violence, but I don't see that political social commentary and i'm like oh it's just because it's really carefully folded in well and that's what i want to talk about with this film because i will say that while there is definitely something like a backdrop to this that we will talk about in a bit i struggled to figure out how it was Mm -hmm. particularly relevant to the plot of the film but that's what i want to find that's what i want to discuss with you okay okay but yeah, so while Inside didn't do well money-wise in France, it grossed just under half a million dollars over there. Um, the reward was a highly positive response from critics. It also had a very, Maury singles this out, a very good audience reception in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Tiff, baby. For a while there, we were a launch pad for acclaimed international horror films. Just a bit. Uh, but yeah, we're looking at an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 7.5 out of 10. And Letterboxd users have given it a 7 out of 10. I do want to say something, though, because I talked about how I saw an edited version of this film. Right. Yes. For the American release, uh, it was botched by none other than Bob Weinstein over at <gasps> Dimension Films. Shocker. I am <laughs> shocked and appalled. Shocker. But so Weinstein called them when they were shooting the movie. So this would have been like, you know, October, maybe November 2006, saying, I want your movie. Okay. And I guess this is the thing where it's like, you know, so it was getting, they knew this was the deal. They were not going to get a theatrical release. It was going to go under the Dimension Extremes banner, which was a big yep. thing at the time. Huge. The lack of a theatrical release disappointed the directors, but at the time they thought it was the best way to get the movie shown to a wider audience. So sure. Dimension bought this film before it was even done shooting. Wow. Okay. Box office wise, it grosses about $800,000 worldwide, you know, coming far below its budget. And there was even some controversy around this American release, but not for the reasons you might expect. Hmm. 
You see, in America, the film was only released under the Dimensions Film banner on DVD in an unrated format, and it was never rated by the MPAA. Right. Okay. Well, big video rental retailer at the time, in like the 07, 08, 09, um, Blockbuster, didn't mm. like that. <laughs> Shocker. Now, what I have here is a verbatim FAQ answer on their website, and this is what it says. <laughs> Okay. All films carried by Blockbuster stores and Blockbuster Online, because that was a thing when they were trying to fight with Netflix, Mm -hmm. uh, carry ratings that have been established by the Motion Picture Association of America. In order to provide a wholesome environment for you and your family, (laughs) we generally do not carry films with ratings of NC-17 or X or unrated films not containing material suitable for all audiences, and they will be designated by Blockbuster as restricted and marked with a YRP sticker. However, Mm -hmm. all right, so what does it mean for inside? Well, they wanted to carry the fucking thing, and so at the time... (laughs) They had a three-year agreement with the Weinstein Company stating that Blockbuster had the right to exclusively offer the rental versions of those labels' movies. Now, when I say rental version... Censored. Or edited, however you want to call it. I think it's censorship. Yeah, it's art. They've censored it. They've removed parts of it at their whim to make it more family-fucking-friendly. Well, so here's the thing, though. So on their covers, you would find a Blockbuster-exclusive sticker. So if you're looking at that, that, to me, would lead me to believe, oh, only Blockbuster. Blockbuster carries this movie, mm-hmm. but what it actually means is only Blockbuster carries this censored version of the right. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, the sticker is a warning. It is a red flag. Well, and so it's not clear, though, who was editing this. So was it a higher up at Blockbuster who edited the films or did Dimension, because of this agreement, say, cool, we will cut a version for you that will be the R-rated cut, even though it's not going to go to the NBA. Right. Whatever. And needless to say, an edited R-rated version of Insight was made exclusively for Blockbuster and possibly Walmart. That was also like they're kind of in that family centric circle. Um, mm-hmm. This version was seven minutes shorter than the original unrated cut. Obvious deletions were made when it came to the extreme violence, but the brief scene at the beginning where Sarah talks to the smoking nurse was not in this cut. Right. As was the death of the teenager who gets stabbed in the forehead at the third act. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I again, that is the version that I saw. And again, with a slew, and maybe I'll link to it in the show notes, you know, where you can see a list of all like the minor cuts they made. But I mean, pretty much when you're watching this, any split second shot of graphic violence or an extended shot of graphic violence was right. either cut down or removed entirely. <sighs> Wild, because it's like, I mean, I don't want to say this movie doesn't have anything if you don't get that, but you're definitely missing an integral part of the experience absolutely and again if someone's telling you this is one of the most brutal horrific horror films you're ever going to see and then you watch that version of it um you're going to be like me for the past 15 years (laughs) (laughs) yeah fucking asshole yeah exactly a fucking asshole um but yeah so uh, i mean that's really all i have again not a ton of making of information about this film available online but you know Mm -hmm. uh i think there's more to talk about within the context of the film so joe Mm -hmm. what happens in this uh baby movie (laughs) Uh, yeah i mean i i do think it's gently hilarious that it's like oh let the the two white anglo men talk to you about the female dominated french new french extremity film which is also written and directed by two white cisgender men (laughs) right yes so you know what let let's dig into it i'm gonna start off by just announcing content warning there 
obviously there's a tone of awful shit that happens in this movie, but also the cat does die. The cat does die. We're on a run right now. Like, I don't think we've gone a week in the last, something about toxic masculinity brought it out and then we've just carried it through. So I think we're on week like six of animals dying. (laughs) It's very much like gender based horror. (laughs) But I will say though, I I think she breaks the cat's head, but it looks, almost looks like for a split second, she like crushes the head with her hand. It is wild. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And before we dive into it, I am going to give credit to Maddie McGilvery's article, It's So Easy to Create a Victim, Subverting Gender Stereotypes in the New French Extremity, which is from Gender and Contemporary Horror in Film. And in this piece, McGilvery references both Alex West's book, so that's uh, one of the co-hosts of Faculty of Horror, who, of course, literally wrote the book on New French Extremity, (laughs) as well as uh, there's another piece that gets substantially referenced by Elliot Burton for Offscreen called Control of the Knife, Transgressing Gender Stereotypes in Bustillo and Maury's Inside. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... We start, as we have mentioned numerous times, with a, a cartoon baby in utero. <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the bizarre thing to me is that the cartoon baby, which I think might be a practical effect, in the Look Who's Talking movies mm. looks better than this. Yeah, I mean, to me, this almost has the air of a video that you would get shown in health class. Like, this is Mm -hmm. what a baby looks like when it's gestating inside of the womb. And I will say, I mean, I think the baby has a certain amount of personality over the course of the film. When this motherfucker gets knocked around, it's it's reacting. Well, except, though, in this opening scene, I mean, spoiler alert, everyone, we're going to spoil this right now. This Mm -hmm. isn't Sarah's baby in the opening scene. No, this is, of course, La Femme's baby, but we won't learn that until much, much later. Literally the last 10 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and that's fine. I think Mm -hmm. in some ways it doesn't change the way that I view the film, and yet it does also set up a certain type of subversion. Yeah, I. It, it's a thing where, I mean, I, I can't remember the first time I saw this, if I just kept being like, why? Why is she doing this? Why is she doing this? Because mm-hmm. by the time I saw this, we were living in a post-The Stranger's world, so I was used to right. the, eh, people just do it because they want to. Yeah, and of course, you know, the long history of home invasion films, it's not like this is the first and it's not the last, so. Yeah, and I think even like the year before this, another French extremity film, um, Ills, came out, and that's very much a home invasion film, which, uh, which inspired The Strangers, actually. <laughs> There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we basically, after the baby, and we hear the words, no one can take you away from me, we see images of pregnant Sarah, who was played by Alison Paradis. She, I gathered, was a relatively new actress. They had a lot of difficulty filling this role because Sarah doesn't spend most of the film looking very good. So they had difficulty attracting somebody because obviously you're going to be wearing prosthetics and you're going to be covered in blood for most of the time but also like it's not a very glamorous role no but i would argue she i think beatrice doll gets a lot of the um like the praise in this film from an acting perspective because look she's the villain she's the show she gets the most to do in this film but Mm -hmm. i do think that undercuts all the stellar work parody is doing here which 
again, she's hiding in a bathroom for like, I want to say a third of this movie's runtime. And, <laughs> but like, again, if you're on this movie's wavelength, you just feel every cut for her. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, obviously, both roles are incredibly physical. They actually had the opportunity to work with a stunt coordinator and go in and do all of the makeup effects. Like, they had a fairly substantial pre production schedule. I think it was somewhere between a month and six weeks, which was big considering the size and scope of this film Mm -hmm. but i mean these two actresses are just putting fucking everything into this movie a hundred percent yeah it's 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 just it's very visceral Mm -hmm. shocking for the new french extremity (laughs) (laughs) who'd have thought (laughs) i mean the other reason that doll often gets a lot of the credit is because she is the more accomplished of the two actresses so this was a huge get for the film because she was well known you know she doesn't do quote-unquote lowbrow horror she does serious shit she's hard to get she's very selective about what kinds of project she picks so for her to say yes two new directors i'm gonna do your graphic horror film mm-hmm. uh it was a big deal for them but okay but genuine question for you though so this film is graphic it is gory it is bloody i mean th- there are things in this movie that i'm like oh god like that mm-hmm. that's even maybe a little too rough for me it's Not a bad lot yeah. it's a lot but do you find it exploitative no, no, not yeah, at all. I don't either. I don't either. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and truthfully, I don't know if it is because it's two women doing it to each other. But, like, I find the gore certainly over the top. But I think it's with intention. And I find it very effective in that capacity. But it doesn't feel like, oh, you know, here's a, a close up of the scissors going into right. Sarah's womb. And isn't it disgusting? And look at how blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you're meant to feel how much it hurts. And then the moment passes. But okay, but when you say like the gore is over the top, that, that that's not synonymous with unrealistic, though, is it? I wouldn't say so. I'd say it's over the top in the way that some of the stuff just, as you said, it's so visceral. Like, this movie hurts to watch. And in some ways, it does remind me of Martyrs. And it's such a roller coaster. I don't know. Like, it just sounds like I'm doing... It it honestly sounds like I'm just trying to get onto the poster for this movie, but that's... <laughs> pull quote, part, pull quote. It's no. a lot of pull quotes, but it's mostly just because this movie makes me feel so many things. And a lot of that is the way that it's shot and how the violence is captured on screen. And... Yeah, it just it really impacts me as a viewer. I guess I guess watching this, I was like, a lot of this violence did feel very realistic to me. But again, mm-hmm. I always go back to a conversation. Well, it wasn't a conversation, but I saw Tom Savini, um, you know, noted makeup artist, uh, speak sure. at, at a convention, and he told like this anecdote about how. I think in um, several of his of, of the movies he's worked on, um, you know, when someone gets decapitated, blood like sprays out of the neck wound, and right. someone came up to him and was like, "That's really why do you do that? It's really unrealistic." And he was, and his response to them was, "Um, I served in the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. saw people get decapitated, and let me tell you." blood sprays out of their neck right and so i guess i always think about that whenever i think about like like the level of graphic violence in a film so again with this particular film the the tone is so deadly serious minus Mm -hmm. the cgi baby that i almost like all of this violence does feel real to me but it's so extreme in the sense that i don't know anyone 
anyone, unless you've been in war or in a very traumatic, violent incident, if you uh, if mm-hmm. you've ever like seen something like this happen. So I guess maybe doctors could tell you if this is realistic or not. Right. I mean, I think the least realistic part about it is that one of these two women wouldn't have succumbed to their injuries earlier in the film. Like the fact that they are able to keep going through all of this is impressive. But then, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people who look at this and say, well, they're both driven by quite a substantial motivation. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, you know, that's like that, again, that little, like, tall tale about oh a woman who uh lifts a car up over her child mm-hmm. to, to to save it you know that that fills my suspension of disbelief for that aspect of the film right yeah and even just like the will to live if you've watched any i survive stories or mm-hmm. something like that like people can be driven to extremes uh-huh, <laughs> and still manage to come back from it right like you can undergo the most horrific things and depending on your will to live depending on what you're trying to live for you can survive it so i don't know like to me as you said there is something sort of realistic about this even though it is gory and over the top and seemingly ridiculous at points but at the end of the day it feels like extreme violence but in that grounded realistic way Mm -hmm. i think i just said the same five words two dozen times but you know what emphasis there we go on the wrong syllable (laughs) let's move on <laughs> um by the way this is one of our christmas movies in case people have forgotten oh yeah i mean it's so funny i was reading reviews that were like yeah it's a christmas film but it's not really like the like it's not like christmasy and i was like i mean kind of I, mean, I mean it's not like you know green lights red lights everywhere but like i think there's a christmas feel to this whole movie I mean, to me, this is representative of a Christmas for people who don't really love Christmas. My God, I might be dating this, but there was some, like, poll that went around. Actually, maybe they do this every year, where it was like, do you consider this a a Christmas film or a holiday film? Sure. And, like, a bunch of people were like, no, to Gremlins and Batman Returns. And again, I'm just like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what, I don't know what. It, <laughs> what 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 does a film have to have to qualify as a Christmas film outside of being set on or around Christmas? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be. Oh, people learned a lesson, and it's about seasons, givings, and so on. And I, I don't know. I mean, I think your mileage may vary, but I very much look at this movie as a Christmas movie. This is a religious film in a lot of ways. Like uh-huh. it's literally about a woman who's about to give birth to a baby on Christmas, folks. Oh my God! It's like Jesus. Um, it's a little will, like Jesus. I will say, if you want to see a Christmas movie with red and green lights, you should head over to our Patreon feed and uh, check out our episode on "A Creature Was Stirring," which will be out this month. Oh my god, look at you with that segue. I know, I try to get, I'm, I'm, I, I try, I, t- I practice in my mirror all the time where I'm like, Joe's going to love this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a hand on the hip and it's like, yeah, let's do it. If only podcasting were a visual medium. Uh, if only. I think that's like a vlog. <laughs> I think that's YouTube videos. TikToks. <laughs> that too. <laughs> the kids. <laughs> Head over to our YouTube video to watch how Trace does it. <laughs> Anyway, we're literally still in the first scene of this movie. It's fine. So we open on Sarah in her car, and she is the lone survivor. Her husband, Mathieu, who is played by Jean-Baptiste Tabourin, he has unfortunately died as a result of his injuries because they've been in a car accident. A really bad one. Um, 
Yeah, so she's alive. Her husband is dead. They've been in this car accident. And we just go into credits. And then when we come out of it, it's four months later. Sarah is at the doctor. It is Christmas Eve. And she's not doing great. No, she is. I'm not going to say unlikable because I don't find her unlikable. But I'm. Mm-hmm. she is what some people would deem a difficult woman. <laughs> well, uh, allow me to introduce McGilvery's first point here. <laughs> so she says, Inside takes this notion a step further by presenting Sarah as a mother who rejects her child before it is even born. So I'm not going to say this is one of the reasons I like the movie because I dislike children and all that other nonsense. Mm. It is more the fact that we are being presented with this complicated, yes, potentially unlikable woman who dares not to adhere to the societal norms about what pregnant women are meant to be like. Misogynist everywhere. Cunt. Oh, boy. I mean, basically, not every woman who is pregnant is having a great time. I mean, if you want some really exciting examples about how pregnancy can be a bit of a disability, go and listen to former guest on the show, Nicole Goebel's podcast on disability and horror, where she and former guest Jen Adams talk about how fucking rough a pregnancy is on a woman's body. Okay, but hold on, though. In the context Mm -hmm. of this film, though, like... I'm just thinking from a financial standpoint, even like, okay, so she's got a husband, they're gonna have a baby, cool, oops, husband's dead. So Mm -hmm. that on top of the emotional weight of that, whatever income he made is also no longer a thing. Right. And then you've got this baby who, again, this is gonna sound terrible, but... Mm is a constant reminder yeah, no. of the man you lost. Exactly that. That's why that one scene where we get to see her imagining the husband caressing her yes. is so fucking important in this movie because you understand, I don't think it's that she doesn't love the baby. No. Like, at the end of the day, I think she wanted this baby when she had a happy family, and now all of a sudden her entire fucking future looks different and she's struggling to process the grief and all of the like ramifications that come with that. But yeah, every time she looks at that baby, she remembers her dead fucking husband. And she's also going through all of that while mm-hmm. dealing with actual pregnancy and hormones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The, her life, all of her reactions are completely understandable, which is why, though, I, I do think that this next scene, like, you know, she's d- d- done the, the ultrasound, but with this nurse who smokes next to her in the hospital, I think it's crucial because there isn't, there isn't a lot of exposition or, like, chilling around in this mm-hmm. movie, And this scene immediately establishes, okay, this is who Sarah is and where she is mentally right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what was she like before this? We don't know. We have that really important scene after this where she is taking pictures of a very happy family and their baby toddler in the park. And, you know, I love the fact that she is literally scowling in between pictures, but it's Again, because it's a reminder of what she thought she had in her own future. And this is where she is now. Like, it's hard for her to not be depressed and upset while also being hormonal, while also being heavily pregnant, which in and of itself is a big fucking challenge. Well, and I also think because I feel like, and again, I realize the irony because I'm a man saying this, but it's like mm-hmm. what we see a lot in media is, okay, like a woman feels bad because she doesn't want to have a kid or right. whatever. But it's like, and this, it's not even like she doesn't want to have the kid. It's almost like, like what, 
does she love this kid? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what would Sarah's life look like post-birth? Would it be one of those happy stories where it's like, oh, like, she sees the kid, she holds it, and all of a sudden, boom, it all clicks into place. Mm-hmm. I don't think that would be the reality of the situation. But, right. um, but all, you know, I... I I also feel like, you know, we see a lot of, oh, woman is incapable of, of having a baby. And so mm-hmm. she feels um, like less a, than a woman, less than less, a woman. Yeah. And I, I feel like we get those stories more often than we do get the whole like, oh, woman doesn't want to have a baby or woman doesn't lo- uh, love her child or whatever. And so I like I mm-hmm. like this avenue for it. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. This is a complicated story about a complicated woman. And typically we don't get those kinds of stories because, yeah, we either then say, oh, well, that woman is a bitch. She's unlikable. Why isn't she being quote unquote normal? But the reality is, is I know a lot of unwed women. I know a lot of women who are married but have no plans to have children. Like, these are socially constructed bullshit norms, but we really like to punish people who want to step out of that lane. And Sarah is a great example of somebody like, she is going through a bunch of shit, but everybody wants her to be a perfect pregnant lady. Like, why aren't you happier? Why aren't you excited? Why aren't we making Christmas plans? Why don't you want to fuck me? I'm your boss. And it's just like, because I'm going through some shit right now. <laughs> um, your husband died like four months ago. I think it's him you got over that already. Right. I mean, this, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We will have so much more to say. We can continue on. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, the rest of McGilvery's quote was basically just about the conversation we had where it was like, ooh, Sarah doesn't fit into these societal norms and that can make her dangerous or unlikable to viewers. Mm-hmm. So I do love this scene with the nurse who was played by Dominique Frott and uh, she's talking about how awful childbirth was, how it like ruined her body and she's also smoking right next to her. Okay, well, no, it, so it's, <laughs> but it's not just, oh my god, pregnancy second. It's like, oh, I was in a 13-hour labor and and the baby came out dead so it was a waste of my time like that's mm-hmm. not verbatim but that's basically what she says and yeah. that is interesting well i mean the reality is is like in some ways this is forecasting a little bit of what la femme has gone through right where mm. she lost her child we also like to pretend as a society that women get pregnant always carry a baby to term and you know ooh, maybe the delivery was rough but whatever it's all happy smooth sailing after that um Shall we talk about how many women have miscarriages? And also, Mm -hmm. you know, Sarah's lucky because, as you said, even though she's got this dead husband, she's still doing okay. We see the house. She lives in a pretty good place. She's got a car. She's got a social network, a mother who checks on her, a boss who wants to fuck her, all these things. Um, If you're a woman of color or if you don't live in a good place or you don't have medical insurance, guess what? Having a baby can fucking kill you. Yep. And Sarah survived a car accident. And the baby did too. Yeah. So like in some ways, she is the model of privilege. And that is going to feed into the social and political commentary that this movie is gently doing on the periphery. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about that. Because she has a mother, Louise, who was played by Nathalie Roussel. And this was apparently another big get. Uh, both Bastillo and Maury were huge fans of this actress. They It kind of sounds like they had crushes on her when they were boys. Really? So it was kind of like, ooh, let's, let's cast a pinup. You know, this woman that we were really fond of. <laughs> so they were very excited that she agreed to take the role. But um, 
So Louise is there to guide Sarah to her car. She's commenting on how Sarah should maybe date her employer, Jean-Pierre, who is played by Francois-Régis Marchasson. And she also would like to make Christmas plans. And Sarah is very much, you know, adhering to what we have talked about. Yeah, like, (laughs) nope, I'm not interested in any of this. Please just leave me alone. I think in some ways... Sarah just also wants to retreat because she doesn't want to have to put on the facade. So she's like, I'll just do things my way, which means hiding out in my house by myself. It's frustrating and not in a bad way, but to watch Mm -hmm. her do this because, again, it's like you understand why she is like this, why she's making these decisions. But you just want to be like, girl, go to group therapy, like go go Mm -hmm. home with your – spend Christmas with your mother. Talk to somebody. I do love that the mother is – persistent but she doesn't seem bad like she's not a harpy no 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 no. i I actually like this mother to the point where i mean Mm -hmm. when she dies (laughs) i look i know i really hate the whole oops protagonist accidentally kills some their their family or loved one thinking that it's the killer blah 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 blah. but Mm -hmm. i will say because i forgot it was coming i did gasp i was like mortified when this mother died (laughs) super effective i think the other reason i end up really liking this movie is because it feels like it has a kinship or even like it's in conversation with the descent oh yeah i can see that although i will i will say what i would have liked with this particular set piece and i I know i'm jumping ahead to her death but we'll come Mm -hmm. come back um i almost wish we wouldn't see sarah getting ready with the needle pen i wish we were just on the mom's side as we as she approached the bathroom door and we didn't know because to me it's okay we're building suspense because we're like oh my god we know what's coming we know what's coming we know what's coming but i almost Mm -hmm. like Again, that Hitchcock, like, bomb under the table metaphor where it's like, oh, this I would have preferred to be like a jump where it's like, oh, shit, I did not see this coming as opposed to it's coming. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just two very different kind of experiences, right? One is Mm -hmm. dread with anticipation because you know it's going to happen and you can't do anything about it. And then the other one is surprise. Exactly. Uh, So one of the other things that Louise is deeply concerned about, particularly with Sarah being by herself are the riots trace yes okay so um i will do a brief brief explanation on this but yeah this film is set amidst an event called the 2005 french riots and um, i'll give credit to the faculty of horror podcast for helping direct me to some information about these events but the the long and short of it is these riots were a three-week period um that took place in the suburbs of paris and other french cities in october and november 2005 so just a year before filming on this movie took place right interestingly enough they're also the the basis or the inciting incident that kicks off frontiers okay that and that's interesting too because um, and again i haven't seen frontiers but i know that it follows a family of neo-nazis in the wake of a controversial election which Mm -hmm. that was also also kind of a response to the 2002 French election, which saw a far right party be in the running for the presidency. Yep, 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 yep. But anyway, so so these riots, though, in 2005, they involved youth in violent attacks and the burning of cars, public buildings, as a response to an event where police were called to a construction site to investigate a possible break-in. And upon arriving, they found and detained six youths, but others escaped. Two of these youths hit out in a nearby power substation and wound up getting electrocuted, leading to a citywide blackout. And 
though it should be noted that urban violence was a big topic in French politics at the time, which is why like, mm-hmm. this wasn't the like this was the inciting incident of the riots, but it was after months or even years of uh, 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 of tension between like youths yeah. and adults. It's um, build up, and I do feel like you're burying the racial lead a little bit here. Oh no! By all means, go ahead. What is the racial lead? <laughs> uh, so most of these people were either from immigrant communities, and many of them were not white. Correct. Also a thing, though, so just two days before this incident, France's interior minister, Nicolas Sarkozy, was pelted with stones and bottles when he visited a Paris suburb, and he was going to see how how measures against urban violence were working. Hmm. After this event, he stated on the news (laughs) that that the crime-ridden neighborhoods should be and here's your racial, uh, 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 like, charge here, cleaned with a power hose. Oh, God. Describing the violent elements as gangrene and rabble. Oh, boy. So, okay, but that's the thing. So so this film has this this the, these riots as the backdrop. And granted, they would have, mm-hmm. like, the official timeline of the riots would have been over by Christmas of 05, but, I mean, the tensions are still there. So, mm-hmm. I guess my question, again, we don't have to answer this right now, maybe we can do it as we go along, but, like, what... What is the purpose of including this? Like, what, what, what extra element or layer do these riots add to what the film is trying to say and or do? Yeah, and and that's something that the film doesn't explicitly lay out to the point where, as I said, I think people could watch this movie and kind of, oh yeah, I remember hearing something about the riots. I remember the police saying something when they stopped by Sarah's place and so on. And they could just sort of miss the cultural context or the significance of it. And I'm going to give credit to Alex and Andrea from Faculty of Horror for having this conversation, I think, in more likely a better nuanced way because Alex is so informed about it. But in a nutshell, the important thing to note about this movie is that Sarah is a privileged white lady who is pregnant, who can call the police, who, because she lives in a well-to-do neighborhood, is more likely to have emergency services stop by in the middle of the night to check on her. So it, in some ways, you know, we talked about, oh, she's not modeling proper social behavior in terms of her pregnancy, but everybody still treats her like a well-to-do white lady who is pregnant and they want to take care of. So I think it's it's interesting the story that happens around her where we are hearing about the riots. We are seeing the influence of it, right? Like, oh, you live in such a quiet neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And even the boy that the police bring, who is a boy of color, who could be construed as one of these immigrant rioters, where it's like, okay, well, look at the way he gets treated, where he is literally brought into a dangerous situation that they don't perceive to be dangerous because it's like, oh, it's a white lady's house. No danger here. Well, and I can see a lesser film being like uh, inco- incorporating that into the film more explicitly, where it's like, oh, m- maybe even the- La Femme is like, well, Sarah, like, why do you want to bring a kid into this world? It's going to be one of these yous. It's going to go mm-hmm. on and like destroy things and blah, blah, blah. And that would just not work very well for oh, me. Oh, he's so, so fucking heavy-handed. But, but, but again, it's a thing where uh, me not being a French citizen or have, have, having never been to France, mm-hmm. I do wonder how this reads or plays for our French audiences who are like, okay, like, even though it's not directly, like, 
a part of the plot of the film. It's just a backdrop. Mm -hmm. Does that feed into your viewing experience or your interpretation of events in a different way than how we, you and I are doing it, Joe? I think undoubtedly, like whether or not that, you know, hugely impacts your viewing experience, maybe not. But I think if nothing else, it situates the film in a real life lived experience that people in France would recognize and say, oh, we see what you're doing there. Like there is this commentary about wealth and privilege and race that factors into this. Now, at the end of the day, it's still a film about two white ladies battling it for a baby. Yeah, but for sure. It's in the background of other violence that has erupted and is consuming people's thoughts about what is happening. And I think the fact that it's ooh, around Christmas, a time when we're supposed to be all happy and joyous and looking forward to the future. It's like, in some ways, it's a little bit of a it's a bit of an ironic dig. A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, it's demoralizing families. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yes, Sarah goes to the park. She ends up meeting with Jean-Pierre, who, again, seems like a relatively nice guy, although he does make these kind of underhanded comments where she's his best photographer and he complains about the mess that's happening out in the suburbs with the riots and how he doesn't have a competent man to cover the story. So we're getting both racial and gender commentary there. So, okay, do you not, I mean, I, I, as a person, do you think this guy is shady? I don't think he is, but I think there's something to be said about the unassuming person who thinks that they're a nice guy who, you know, he's got his biases and I don't even know that he's aware of them. Uh, entirely possible. I guess in my mind, I was like, oh, he's being so nice to her. Like, she's being a real bitch and, <laughs> and he's just trying to help her out. <laughs> Well, I have made numerous jokes about how he does or does not want to be sexually involved in her life. You know, mm -hmm. the film sort of shifts that when he ends up meeting La Femme and he mistakes her for Sarah's mother, Louise. But I very much get the impression that Jean-Pierre sees himself at least as a good friend of Sarah's, whether she likes it or not. But also, does he want a little bit more? I you know, don't know. It's interesting. It was a thing where I, cause a, a part of my brain was watching this and I was like, that's a really, I don't know. This seems a little weird for like a boss employee mm -hmm. relationship, like picking yes. her on Christmas day. She's having her boss pick her up at six in the morning, bring her to the hospital for this surgery or this, uh, the birth inducement. Um, mm -hmm. But then I was like, yeah, but you know, I, I have a, a, you know, 50 something year old uh, female boss at my day job. And she'd do that for me if the role was reversed. And there's nothing sexual about our relationship. I can attest sure. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you can also read this as, oh, Sarah just doesn't have a lot of people in her life that she can depend on because one of her closest relationships is either her mom or her boss. Or she pushed all those people out of her life in the four months since we've seen her last. Absolutely. But I, I love that the movie, again, doesn't feel the need to hold our hand and say, "Ooh, let me tell you exactly what happened with Sarah. It's like, nope, you just need to know she's pregnant. She was in a car accident where her husband died. And now she is retreating from social life. Which, understandably so. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So yes, he is going to pick her up tomorrow morning, aka Christmas morning, so she can go and get induced because it is time to have this baby. As a sidebar, I don't want to keep recycling things, but uh, I think it's interesting that 
we never hear whether Sarah plans to keep the baby. If oh, yeah. she ever considered giving it up for adoption. But judging by the timeline, after the accident, when her husband did die, she would have been too late to have had an abortion. Yeah, no, that, that, that's how I read it, too. And I, I actually didn't think about the fact that we have yeah, we, we, yeah, we don't know. We don't know what her plans were with this baby <laughs> after the fact. Yeah, like we see La Femme go into what appears to be a nursery for the baby, but it also looks incomplete to me. And that baby's coming home the next day. Like it could have been done before the accident and then hasn't been touched Mm. since the accident. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. So Sarah gets dropped off at home and she blocks the cat from escaping. No name on this cat, unfortunately, but it is another black one. Oh, God. What a, (laughs) what a, just a, fuck you to cats everywhere oh boy yeah (laughs) she ends up fielding another call from louise obviously mom is very concerned about her she wants to be present in her life you can tell that sarah is just kind of done with it and that's fine i just want to be like girl watch something on tv was 2007 french television not that good (laughs) uh apparently all we're seeing is the riots when we turn on the tv oh you know what that makes sense Mm -hmm. so she is trying to do things normal you know she is sitting there knitting this onesie for this baby but she's fucking terrible this is obviously also just here as Chekhov's knitting needle i mean yeah (laughs) y'all this needle will come back and then some Mm-hmm. But first we have a nightmare sequence. So she does fall asleep in the rocking chair and then she proceeds to awaken and she can't breathe and she ends up barfing up white bile before the baby fully explodes out of her throat. So I thought all the vomit stuff was really effective. Um, okay. The baby, it just it, it's just really bad CGI or just really bad composite work. I, I don't really know what this is. But so, again, I get the intended effect here. Yeah. Um, it's just it, 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 it kind of takes me out where I'm like, oh, that doesn't look very good. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate because I do think that this is a good representation of, you know, the mental issues that she's working through. Oh, yeah. You know, she's concerned about this baby. She's concerned about potentially choking on her own vomit by herself and um, so on and then rolling around in said vomit her, once her hair touched it i was like Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that it's white right i mean yeah. i'm used to seeing white vomit only in alien movies so to see it here it's so disarming it's also calling to mind i mean come on semen uh, sure yeah 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 okay so nightmare sequence over this is when the doorbell rings there's a woman who claims that her car is broken down it is the middle of the night she needs to use the phone sarah is smart she doesn't open the door even a crack she says no i'm sorry i can't help you my husband is asleep upstairs he has to work early so you need to get the fuck out of here and la femme who we will eventually see is beatrice doll basically says I know that your husband's not sleeping, Sarah. He's dead. Oh, this is a good moment. Like, I've never, I, I would love to see this on the big screen w- w- mm-hmm. with an audience who has never seen this movie before. Just, just to hear the reaction to that. I mean, the again, gasps. It, it's kind of cliche, you know, oh, mm-hmm. hey, of course she knows something about her, blah, 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 blah. But it's sure. so creepy. It's so effective. Still creepy. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the, the physicality of the performances from both women, but they're, oh. 
there is something so captivating about Doll in this role, the way she is costumed. The even just oh. like it's gonna sound really mean. I promise it's not. The gap in her teeth is so memorable. Like she's such a memorable fucking actress and she commands the screen. I'm actually glad you mentioned the gap tooth first because I didn't want to be the one to do it. But no, yeah, in a, I don't mean this in a negative way. But yeah, it's just a very striking visage mm-hmm. that you're just like, wow, this is this is a woman. <laughs> <laughs> a force to be reckoned with. Um, it, I love the restraint. I mean, again, this is an 80 minute movie, but like mm-hmm. of keeping her hidden in the shadows for these early parts. Yeah. So again, like, a- a- after this doorbell scene, we move to the back door, which is just a fucking mm-hmm. glass sliding door. Yep. But we see her silhouette, and th- there's a point that because the ki- we are inside the house looking mm-hmm. out, it almost looks like she's already in the house when we see yes. the silhouette of her, which I fucking love. Mm-hmm. And it anticipates a moment just a couple of scenes from now where yep. we will do this again, except she is in the house. And, okay, I saw somewhere, I don't have a quote for it or a source for it, but we're, we're, John Carpenter's Halloween was an influence for some of this. And hmm. I okay. see that, but I see that in some of these, it, it's one everyone fucking does when Michael Myers is right behind Laurie, but it's in the pitch black and his mm-hmm. face slowly gets revealed in the blackness. Right. That happens in this movie with La Femme. Yeah, and it's really, really effective. It's if really only good. because it's also very strangers esque, right? Mm-hmm. Where Sarah doesn't see this later on. Like she sees her now because La Femme wants to be seen to the point where she literally lights a cigarette so that Sarah can see her face. Oh, dude, okay, that that shot though of the the again big the only source of light for the shot. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah, and Sarah reciprocates because she's a photographer by taking photographs of this woman. And I love that she ends up, you know, she's not a stupid woman, even though she is socially isolating because she doesn't want to deal with people's shit. She knows enough that if she can get a picture of this woman, if it does escalate to violence, she'll be able to use it to show to the police this is the person who attacked me. Also, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I had to look this up while we were talking about this. But uh, The Strangers was filming mm-hmm. at the exact same time as this movie. Wild. Be- because it came out in 2008, but it was postponed so many times. So they filmed this oh. October mm. of two- starting in October of 2006 through early 2007. Ugh. Wow. <laughs> what a time for home invasion. Folks. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, if you want to hear more about that, obviously, we had Mike Munzer from Evolution of Horror. He's currently doing nothing but home invasion films. And I believe this is one of the ones he's covered. Oh, that that's not surprising to me. So, um, yeah, Sarah does take a bunch of pictures with the flash and La Femme allows her to do this before disappearing like a puff of fucking smoke. <laughs> and then... When Sarah develops this role of film, she's looking at the picture she took at the park and she sees La Femme lurking in the fucking bushes. So this woman has been stalking her all day. It's so wild. It is scary. Yeah. I don't even know what I would feel if I was at home alone in this dark room and realizing, oh, shit, this woman's been after me. Well, and because you're, you're right, the photo is from today, but I, I mean, uh, I think we're meant to believe that or assume that she's been stalking her since she got out of the hospital. Yeah, I mean, as soon as La Femme probably recovered from her own injuries, because, of course, she would have been pregnant, she would have had to deal with the physical loss of the child in some mm-hmm. form. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is not her first day outside Sarah's house. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Ooh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Okay, so Sarah calls the police because she's smart. And we get three police officers who arrive. Two men, played by Tahar Rahim, as well as Emmanuel Gez, and a woman, played by Hayam Zadun. And the woman takes the lead, so she's asking most of the questions. Sarah shows the picture of La Femme, but it's a reflection. It's just not quite clear enough. And the policewoman is kind of like, yeah, don't worry. You live in this great neighborhood. It's really quiet. You'll be fine. But I promise you we'll send a squad car around later on to make sure everything's okay. Peachy keen. Bye. Gotta go. And I will say, if you've never seen this movie before and you're and you, uh, watching this again, I was like, oh, wow, she's making the right decisions. The cops are being competent. This is great. Mm-hmm. Um... This will be the only scene where the cops are competent. <laughs> is it also notable that this is the only time we will see this female police officer and the rest of them are men? Joe, stop. People think we hate men. <laughs> Don't you know, Trace? Uh, I, I just hate the fact that I'm white and I hate men and all these other fun oh, things. You do, you do harbor a lot of white guilt. Uh, people have made note of that quite a bit. <laughs> Because it's a real fucking thing. White people control the world. Do we make it shit for people who aren't white? Deal with it. Deal with your fucking racism. Well, Joe, deal with your white guilt. I don't need to. (laughs) I put it out on the podcast. (laughs) Okay. So, yes, we we get more footage from the riots on TV, and then the cat wakes Sarah up, and this is where we see La Femme is just behind her in the shadows, and then she retreats. This is so good. Again, the, the, the patience. Because mm-hmm. the thing is, I feel like you could watch this film and be like, oh, wow, like, well, just fucking get her. Get her. Get her. Yeah, she's right there. Why are you hesitating? What kind of cat and mouse game are you playing? But... She is patient. She is waiting for the moment because this is her ultimate goal. But I also think that shows maybe not humanity in La Femme. Like, we don't know a lot about her, except Mm -hmm. that her motivation is, hey, you killed my baby in that car accident. I want your baby in return. Sure. And that takes the entire movie to get to. Absolutely. But I think that the fact that she waits along also shows... I mean, she doesn't want to kill someone. Like, yeah, she blames Sarah. She wants. She's clearly unhinged. But like, mm-hmm. her end goal of this is not to kill Sarah, even though that might be a consequence of her actions. Yeah, it's just to get the baby. It's almost an unfortunate byproduct, right? Like, right. in order to get the thing I came for. I do have to go through you. What happens to you is immaterial. Which really, you're like, bitch. Could you not just wait twenty four hours? That, honestly, I was thinking, isn't it easier to just steal a baby than right? to cut it out of a woman? <laughs> just steal it. <laughs> but I, I don't know that we could say La Femme is operating at um, maximum uh, uh, mental performance. Yes, I, I think she herself is probably dealing with some grief and some other issues. Just a little bit. 
just a little. So, uh, yeah, La Femme glides back into the darkness and Sarah calls Jean-Pierre to be like, hey, there was this weird incident. I took a picture. I'm going to go to bed. I'll see you in the morning. And off she goes. So we fade to black. And this is where we see La Femme basically just standing next to Sarah's bed, watching her sleep. Again, so this is drawn out, you know? Mm -hmm. You're watching this. The way it's framed is so great, because La Femme is just staring at her, but we have Sarah's full pregnant body, like, Mm -hmm. in the frame. Yeah, the belly is occupying the immediate foreground. You can't mistake it. It's just so prominent. (laughs) I will say, though, if you had told me, yes, scissors would make a really good weapon in a slasher movie, I'd be like, Mm -hmm. it's a little basic. Um... These scissors? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> the second she dips them in the jar of, I'm presuming, alcohol, because mm-hmm. she, you know, she's smart. She wants to be um, uh, safe with her cesarean section. Yep. I mean, God, these scissors. These mm-hmm. scissors! Ooh, challenge to listeners. Great performances by scissors in horror films. This and Us, what else you got? Oh, yeah, Us, got, us was in the marketing campaign. Fuck. Mm-hmm. So La Femme is there. She's now got these scissors, which have been sterilized. So um, here we go. Trace, she uh, basically climbs up onto the bed and then she makes her first incision right at the belly button. And of course, there's no anesthetic. So Sarah immediately wakes up. We do get the second baby shot in this movie. So we're we're literally seeing this baby from... The inside of the womb. Yes, the inside, the titular inside. Ah! Multiple insights in this movie. But um, yeah, so I, I love that the minute that Sarah wakes up, she reacts and La Femme just responds by slashing her face. And the, oh man, I, I for, totally forgot about this. Um, this is... It, it, it all happens so quickly, you know? Like, so fast. And it's the thing where it's like, well, LaFemme, what were you thinking? Did you think you were just going to cut this baby out and she was going to lie there? That's clearly not what's going to mm-hmm. happen. I mean, she's not even medicated. It's not like she took something to help her sleep. She's not in a deep sleep. No, but like the extreme close up of one half of those scissor blades, like entering the belly button. Um, yep. Ooh, ooh. I mean, again, again, as a cisgender man who can never get pregnant, this hurt like in my gut like that feeling you get when you see someone get their balls kicked and you're like oh that's what i felt watching this scene (laughs) Mm -hmm. to me all of the stuff with the pregnant belly any wound sustained by sarah in that area is harder to watch even than jean pierre getting repeatedly stabbed in the fucking dick in this movie welcome to that because he also gets a really bad face stabbing (sighs) that guy i mean <laughs> i feel bad for this dude he did I not, no one in this movie deserves what happens to them it's bad it's real bad <laughs> okay so we do get this very expeditious fight like it is fast it is mean we're smacking la femme in the face with a lamp and then sarah is crawling backwards she's practically crab walking trying to get away from her well she's crab walking because she's trying to keep her vagina shut so this baby doesn't fall out <laughs> I mean, yes, that uh, she's also, I think, smartly keeping her attacker within her field of vision as opposed to trying to run away, which is probably a good thing because Lafemme does throw these scissors at her. They implant in the wall and Sarah ends up locking herself in the bathroom. Dude, that shot, though, of, the, of her throwing the scissors and they get stuck, mm-hmm. that is 
awesome. It's good. It is so good. <laughs> it's so fucking good. Like everything that happens in this movie that is action oriented. So I've not told this story or at least not recently, but I watched this movie by myself. I was suffering a mild bout of depression in the middle of my PhD. I was living alone after leaving, having lived with my ex for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And I was having a pity party and I just thought, you know what? I want to watch something extreme. I want to feel something. So I opened a bottle of wine. I drank the entire bottle while watching this movie uh. while trying to keep my feet on the floor because I just kept jumping. Okay, so you were consciously like, "I'm my feet are staying on the floor. It was like, try <laughs> to contain yourself, but I could not. Like, this movie just... It, it elicited such a visceral reaction in me that I just kept, like, jumping. I would pull my legs up under me every time somebody was doing something with the scissors or attacking the door or getting yeah. their fucking hand implanted. Like, just so much of this hits that I found I was squirming. Like, my body was responding physically to what was happening on the screen. And now for some public shaming, everyone. Remember, uh, he's drinking a bottle of wine in an 80-minute runtime. <laughs> i was like no it'll distract me from what's happening on screen filling this glass <laughs> it's okay i used to be a person uh, back in my cougar town days because uh, there was a a, a very cheap two dollar bottle of wine at the local grocery store sold called cul-de-sac uh, mm -hmm. i would drink two bottles of cul-de-sac a night <laughs> oh boy that is a big john right it's there it's not great it's not great uh but no, I, i'm happy i'm happy that this was uh, able to comfort you in your time of need there we go. Yeah. Yeah. When I was socially isolating and yeah. feeling sorry for myself. Exactly. It's not, you know, I, I think it's okay. You had a really rough go of it and I think you're allowed to feel bad for yourself. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you're you. You're welcome. Yeah. Pity it all up. <sighs> okay. So we're in a bit of a safe zone. Sarah is behind a locked door in this bathroom, but her face is bleeding. Uh, she takes a look at it in the mirror. She gives herself a little bit of a cry. And um, then her water breaks. I mean, okay, here's the thing. Of course it does. <laughs> but it breaks a little, and then it really breaks later in the film. But I do think this is this is meant to be the main water break. So she's basically in labor for the rest of this movie. Yep, yep, yep. So La Femme is just kind of... She's taking her time with this, right? As we said, she's a patient woman, so she removes her corset. And she puts ice on her head wound from the lamp. And then that's when Jean-Pierre lets himself in, because remember, he's got a key. He's here to pick up Sarah because we're going to go and deuce. And he, everybody mistakes La Femme throughout the film. And I think it's fascinating because she's so striking and memorable. But because no one has ever seen her before, we just naturally assume, oh, well, this is a, a nice lady who's just hanging out in Sarah's house. So Jean-Pierre assumes this must be the mom, Louise. Yep, and of course later she'll be she'll be mistaken for Sarah herself. But um, mm -hmm. here's the thing. Luckily, this doesn't take up a lot. Like the confusion doesn't take up a lot of time. This is like a five minute bit, and then we're we're out of here. Yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome because nothing in this movie does. We don't have a runtime that will accommodate that. We got a fucking motor. But I do love that. You know, okay, we just had this burst of violence, so let's slow things down a little right. bit. You know, hey Jean Pierre, why don't you stay for a drink? And I mean, we're cross cutting back and forth between them having this drink and Sarah 
trying to recover from the physical fucking assault she just survived. And, um, you know, it doesn't take Jean-Pierre long to realize, okay, you're obviously not Louise. And I remember Sarah mentioning something about a woman in the photograph because he finds it and he puts two and two together. <sighs> and then he makes it halfway up the stairs. Okay, the scissors going through the back of his knee. Ooh! Yeah. Ooh! yeah. He gets in the back of the knee and then she gets him. Where else does she get him? Well, so she, she I, I, this is what I wrote in my notes. She jams the scissors through the back of his knee and then in his crotch, mm-hmm. then stabs him in the face a couple times and then slits his throat. Uh, partially because he's still alive. He is still alive. He lasts so much longer. I always forget. I think he's down for the count here because we see her dragging the body down the stairs and kind of out of the way. And you think, oh, Jean-Pierre, you're done. But again, if you have not seen this, so she drags him down. And the second he starts moving again, Mm -hmm. she puts a pillow on his face. Okay, she's going to smother him. Sure. Uh, No. No. (laughs) (laughs) She shoves the scissors through the pillow, through his face, Mm -hmm. and then twists them a whole bunch of times. Yeah, and you can see it. It's not super lengthy, but when she removes the pillow, which you could you could see the blood spraying off the side of the pillow as she's stabbing him. Mm -hmm. And when she removes the now turning red pillow, you can briefly see that she has actually gotten him through his glasses and into his eye. Yeah, it's 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 rough. Again, the the face stab (laughs) earlier was in his cheek. So Mm and bear in mind, through his cheekbone. <laughs> yeah. And look, this is the most brutal, like, death like, right now in this moment. But mm-hmm. the most upsetting death is this poor mother. Oh, yeah, for sure. So in, in between, it's that actually isn't one continuous sequence. So he gets dragged off and we think he's done for. And then we kind of resort back to Sarah versus... Lafem because Sarah has used this intermission to try to sneak out of the bathroom and Lafem grabs her by the hair just as she's getting uh. back in. And again, we get baby POV. Uh, if you wanted to do a drinking game with this movie, you could take a shot every time you see the baby. And we see the baby getting, like, sloshed around in this commotion. It's very upsetting. Slosh is the best onomatopoeia for what this does. <laughs> uh, but thankfully, Sarah gets in another blow here. So we're very much trading blows every time they have an encounter. So in this case, La Femme gets the needle, the knitting needle through the arm. Which is great. It won't be as bad as a certain wound Sarah's going to get later in her no. arm. But um, yeah, th- th- this is a good like, fuck yeah moment just for a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, so Sarah manages to close the door, get it back locked, and apparently this is all Beatrice doll, the reaction that LaFemme really? has, where she, uh, I think she was scripted to kick the door, but the the screaming, the kind of emotional reaction, mm-hmm. like the just guttural, fuck, 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 fuck kind of Yeah, things. well, because we get a lot of like, like camera jump cuts here. Eh? Yes, full-on jump cuts, like proper jump cuts. It's very typical of like, oh, like someone's losing their mind or they're losing their hold on reality or they're having an anxiety attack like boo 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 it is typical but again it works here and it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a compliment to doll's performance absolutely yeah so this is when we lose the cat the cat is killed uh sarah breaks 
the mirror because she realizes that she needs a weapon and maybe something to help get out of this situation. And this is where La Femme, you know, she just kind of stabs the scissors into the door to create a hole. And then she makes it a little bit bigger. And they have this conversation, you know, hey, what do you want? What's going on? And she says, (laughs) I'm here for that baby. That baby is mine. It's mine, bitch. It's my bitch. (laughs) So... We don't have to wait. We've got some fresh bodies, some new red shirts coming in. So let's introduce our trio of BACs, Trace. This is a French acronym for uh, Brigade Anticriminalité. So this is basically like a kind of special police task force. So once again, this is the riot rearing its head. So we've got three of these people, uh, played by Ludovic Berthenol, Emmanuel Lanzi, and Nicholas Duvachel. And I believe that Duvachel is the person who kind of gets it the worst. He's the third one who comes in. If you say so. Um, I could not tell. Yeah, I tried d- to look up pictures. <laughs> all, all of these officers die horrible deaths. Um. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> we also have a perp, uh, Abdul, who is played by Amen Sadi. And I am going off of signifiers from names, but I read this person as a racialized figure who yeah. is probably from this rioting uh, immigrant group. And... Again, I think it's pretty significant, like how this character is treated, the kind of death that he ends up getting, even like. I, I will say the actor who plays him, uh, Saidi, uh, he's an Arabic French of Tunisian origin. Okay. Yeah. Because I know that in the riot, it was a lot of uh, African immigrants that were. That, that would make sense. Um, yeah. That's Tunisia right there. But uh, yeah, this. <sighs> This is so frustrating because I think this is a great movie, but Mm -hmm. these cops are so fucking stupid, which maybe is the point. I don't quite think so. I don't. Mm -hmm. uh, Well, that's the thing, right? So I I would need to do more research into law enforcement and their role in these riots and what the general public like consensus was on their actions versus Mm -hmm. the actions of the youths. Because I, I know a big point of contention with people who watch this movie was, wow, these cops are really stupid. Why don't yeah. they call for backup immediately? Um, blah, blah, blah. But again, watching this and knowing the context of it, I'm like, well, mm-hmm. was that the point? Was the point an ACAB thing? I think so or even just to highlight the fact that it's like okay so when they go in and they're dealing with kindly white lady they treat her one way whereas you know they're very dismissive of abdul and i think it's it's telling but again the film doesn't really tip its hat so it doesn't tell you one way or another it's like you you're just meant to notice that these two different people who are having interactions with the police are being treated very differently exactly Yeah. Okay. So two of the cops go in, I'm going to say BAC officer one and two, whereas number three stays in the car with Abdul and uh, one and two immediately mistake La Femme for Sarah because she's the woman who answers the door. So she basically says, yeah, everything's totally fine. And they leave. It's just as funny now as it was when I was watching it. 
Mm-hmm. We should also note that before La Femme answers the door, she does blockade the bathroom door so that Sarah can't get out during this moment or she can't really call for help all that well. So Sarah has carved out a hole, you know, the hole that was in the bathroom door. She's made it bigger so that she can reach a hand through. She's been cutting her hand Dude. in the process with this shard of mirror. So that hurts. And then La Femme, you know, now that the police officers have gone, she comes upstairs, sees this arm, stabs Sarah right through the hand into the wall. Okay, but the way that this is shot is so cool because so Mm -hmm. up until now, like La Femme has been dealing with the cops downstairs. So we don't think she's anywhere near her. So then, Mm -mm. you know, we get that break. We're like, okay, well, that's what La Femme is doing. Let's see what Sarah's doing. And then she she reaches out and this is, it's not even, it's not, it's a couple seconds where, you know, we Mm -hmm. see Sarah's hand reaching outside the door. She's trying to, to figure it out. But the camera is slowly kind of walking up from the stairway, and we will eventually realize, okay, well, this is La Femme's POV. Right. But we just get that stab into her hand, and it's so brutal, and it's Mm -hmm. not even the stabbing itself. It's that when La Femme goes back downstairs, because the third cop and the perp have come inside, we have this, like, extended shot of Sarah's hand as she tries to... Mm-hmm. not quite pull it off of the scissors because she can't do that but like where no. she's moving her arm and we just it, it looks so painful so painful mm-hmm. <laughs> like because this I'm used to seeing people get stabbed and then the knife gets pulled out yeah. or you know they have to like remove their hand and you see them wince and there's a blood trail or something well, like that and we get this but it's also like she's been st- like her hand is literally impaled. She cannot get these scissors out of the wall, and her hand is in between. That's the thing. Like so. So again, when when Lefem goes downstairs, I, again, my my immediate thought is, well, wait, don't don't you got to make sure she can get away? But she can't unless she mm-hmm. flat out rips her hand off of these scissors. Yeah, which I don't even think you could. Like no. you would have to get the scissors out of the wall it's i mean like well it mm, you could but you would flat out like rip a rip the middle of your hand and split between your middle finger and your ring finger oh so we're talking like a men's situation yes 100 percent. what yeah yeah yes that's the reaction Okay, yeah. So Sarah's not in a great place. And as you said, this is uh, actually where Officer 1 and 2 come back because they have realized, oh, shit, that woman we were talking to was not was pregnant. pregnant. Ah. <laughs> so that's how they catch on to La Femme. But the problem is, is that she's really fucking smart. So she's got this needle that she had stuck in her fucking arm and she gets rid of one very quickly. <laughs> okay, but this second one. Yeah, so when the first one goes down, she just pulls out his gun. The second officer, while she's been taking care of number one, has gone up to investigate the upstairs. And so this dude has, like, moved the door. He's removed the scissors from Sarah's hand. He's freed her. (laughs) Uh You think, okay, like, something good is going to happen from this. And then this guy's head just fucking explodes all over Sarah's face. This... I forgot because I I knew I knew clearly these cops had to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, again, we talked about in Thanksgiving last month on the Patreon, everyone, where the, the, there's a there's a 
character who's uh has a pole go through his face and you can right. see like it's done really well to where you can see the parts of his face the pole went through or like his nose are folded out over his face mm-hmm. this is the same where it's like you see this guy's face and i mean yeah. it's the same shot so i don't i don't know if it's an excellent match cut or if they Maybe the original shot was a prosthetic of his head, and I just didn't spot it. But, like, this guy's face explodes outward, and it is Mm. wild. Yeah, so you can see them do this, because this is obviously one of the big set pieces. So you can see this in that featurette. There is a dummy, and then we also have a thing that sprays Sarah full in the face that kind of looks like a t-shirt cannon. Um, it's it, blood cannon. 100% yeah. what that is. <laughs> it's terrifying because they're not that far away from her. And you see her, you know, they like, it's a fascinating. I don't know how actors do it, but, you know, the camera's basically two feet away from her while she's kneeling and... You know, they call action. She starts to hyperventilate to get herself ready for it. And then we blow this blood cannon full of just viscera all over her. And she screams for about a minute straight before they call cut. And she she says in a voiceover, you know, I felt so much pressure to get this right because it's such a huge process to clean up. Yeah. You know, we really and also it's a it's a low budget movie. Like it's not insubstantial, but we don't have a ton of money to do this 15 fucking times. Right. So she wanted to make sure she gets it right. And the reaction is priceless. She fucking nails this scene. Parody is so good. It's really, really good. It all feels so authentic for an outlandish situation. Mm. Yeah, like we're we're blowing fucking cops' heads off in the middle of the night. This woman might as well be a ghost the way she's able to get around this house. Like, it could be so dumb and ridiculous, and it's not. You're just like, holy fucking shit. Yeah, and it's the thing where it's like, and you want her to get out of this, and it's like, oh, you're so close. Cool. Oh, god mm-hmm. damn it. God damn it. Yeah. So I'm going to bring McGilvery back into this uh, just briefly. She says, not only is La Femme disposing of all the male characters in the film, but they are all police officers and corporate businessmen. This works to present an erasure of the most extreme form of patriarchy, the authoritative male. (laughs) But it truly is, right? Like, we're basically taking down these institutional figures. Like, they come in, you think they should be able to help her. Like, Jean-Pierre should be able to help her. He doesn't last long. The police do not last long. Like, nobody is able to withstand an interaction with La Femme except for Sarah. Yeah. Which, but, but it, well, it's not just men, though. It is her mother. Well, I guess her mother doesn't really deal with La Femme. No, not so much. Yeah. Poor, poor Louise. Who knows what she would have managed to accomplish, but... Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> okay. So, we... We bring in uh, BAC Officer 3, who has tied Abdul to them. So it's basically like what you would have if you had a, a child, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, you basically just tie yourself to them so that they can't run away. <laughs> All these parents are like, Joe, don't have children. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen these at daycares. <laughs> 
so uh they end up discovering sarah she is completely in shock at this point and i do love this moment where they are looking at her it's basically sarah's point of view and you just see la femme saunder by in the background like she's so nonplussed about all of this you know what i'll take care of these two as well (laughs) i mean why not right Mm hmm. So I do love the patients here because they go to investigate the scene and see what's happened downstairs and they leave her and it's it feels like an eternity where she's just uh-huh. got her back pressed up against the wall. She's got this mirror shard ready to go and you're waiting for something to happen and nothing does because it's not until they come back to get her that the power goes out. Power goes out like it is pitch black in this house. So BAC Officer 3 bandages up her hand because she's really fucked it up trying to create that hole so that she could get her hand implanted by the scissors. And he puts a jacket on her. We start to move her. And it's kind of funny because they're like, oh, okay, well, now that the power's out, we're going to have to go and flip the circuit breaker. So where is it? She tells them and they just up abandon her so she goes back to bed go sleep in your room we're safe everyone's good when again the logical person is like hey you have a fucking cop car with a radio go call for backup (laughs) yeah i do realize i i think we've skipped over the part where she accidentally kills her mom i'm pretty sure that's between oh yeah it happens when jean pierre gets killed it's like the exact same time Uh, but that's what i was saying that was like that we're also getting a lot of spray from her neck wound when that Mm -hmm. happens yeah i've been on record saying you know i don't like this trope of oh the protagonist accidentally kills someone close to them Mm -hmm. because they think it's the killer it's a realistic reaction i get it you know if if you're in a serious situation you're gonna fucking (laughs) like just stab whoever walks into you first Mm -hmm. but this is mortifying uh the mother's death it's very very sad but what makes it more sad to me is that sarah doesn't have time to grieve this yeah and and that's what's interesting so i mentioned i've got a bit of a a read or a critique about how some people have approached the end of the film we'll get there Uh but i have seen people say Oh, and Sarah doesn't even react when she kills her mom. And she doesn't have time. But, but she does have. She does react. She exactly. just doesn't have a whole fucking scene devoted to grieving her. Yeah, because she can't melt down. She can't lose her shit entirely because she's still in danger. Like you see her start to break, and then she has to collect herself. Yeah, and that's that whole thing with people horror fans complaining about decisions characters make in horror movies, where I'm like. Ah, mm-hmm. this is out of your wheelhouse, I think, because unless you've been in this situation, you don't know how you would react. Which, I mean, I think it's funny, right? We we critique how stupid the cops are because they don't immediately do things. And Well, okay, but I think there's a difference there because theoretically... You're cop- trained. You're trained, yes. Yeah. And there's protocol. Like, hey, if two of your partners, if your only two partners, have mm-hmm. been brutally murdered, um, call for backup. Yeah, and also maybe don't leave the pregnant lady by herself. But obviously the problem is we look at this as though, oh, there's two of them, so why can't they help her? But the reality is that Abdul is not prepared for this. Like, he's just been picked up by the police, and now he's been thrust into this horrible situation. Yeah. I do love the fact that we hear something happen to BAC Uh Officer 3, and we assume that he is dead, but we don't actually know. 
Unfortunately, we do have to watch Abdul get stabbed in the forehead with these scissors. I have to. So I, I know people always joke about in Scream 4 when Anthony Anderson gets stabbed in the head and he's like still mm-hmm. moving and talking and he fucked Bruce Willis out of there. But right. um, I have to believe this was an influence because I know that Wes Craven talked about how he read a story about how people can still survive when getting stabbed in the head. Mm. This is a much better real what I'm presuming to be a realistic portrayal of what that would be. This poor guy. Yeah. Stabbed in the head. He is yeah. still reacting. He's still moving. He mm-hmm. pulls the scissors out of his out. forehead. Oh boy! Ooh. And, Ooh. and part of it is that I think he realizes in his dying moments he's got a bit of a weapon, so he can try to defend himself. Because he he takes some swipes at her, and it's almost cruel how she doesn't even react like la femme realizes this guy is not a threat and she just watches him die he takes swipes at her with like this is before he tries to grab the scissors back out of his head but it's like mm-hmm. whatever part of the brain those scissors went through fucked him up obviously oh, of course. obviously it did so yeah he's when you say he's swiping at her swiping is too harsh of a of a verb i feel like he's mm-hmm. he's moving his arms out and it's almost like he's feeling for her but i think in his mind he thinks he's like hitting you know oh. it's oh god it's so upsetting it's so sad this to me i think is one of the hardest parts of this film just because i mean you could argue sarah has done nothing to deserve anything that happens but nevertheless though this being the one like full-on death scene that was just removed from that edited version i i mean i'm not saying i'm not defending it but i understand Mm -hmm. why out of all of them this would be the one you just take out completely (laughs) yeah i mean it's it is very very graphic just seeing those scissors get smashed into his forehead and she waits too man like Mm -hmm. he begs her do not kill me please don't kill me and then she's like eh yeah Because everyone is just an obstacle to what she wants. Yeah. So they got to go. Just God. Can you imagine wanting a baby that bad? No. (sighs) The answer is no. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not for us. Okay. So as we mentioned, Sarah has gone back to bed because she is totally in shock at this point. And I think part of her wants to believe that she's safe because these men have come in to help her. Yeah. So she has gone back to bed and... I mean, folks, I recognize we have not talked about the queerness in this film. There's a lot of doubling, some very obvious stuff where La Femme is dressed entirely in black and is heavily sexualized. Mm -hmm. And Sarah is pregnant and dressed almost entirely in white and all that good jazz. (laughs) But this moment to me, it's actually the box art, depending on which region you're looking at the, the film in. But La Femme just climbs on top of her and it looks like we're gonna get a kiss yeah it's i mean look i i wouldn't call this film erotic in any sense of the term but yes there is something overtly sexual about the framing of this scene and i have to believe it's intentional oh 100 percent. yeah i mean everything about the film is so deliberately staged they had the whole thing storyboarded in advance because they were new filmmakers so they they didn't want to be in a situation where they would have to react on the fly like they they were like no it's too tight we need to know exactly how we're going to frame everything so they would have had the layout the framing the composition of this shot in their minds and yeah it's not sexy but it is sexual like la femme to me is very coded sexual from the corset to the way that she disarms a lot of men in this movie using her sexual wiles oh, hell yeah 
So I love that in a way, Sarah reverses this by turning something that could be construed as sexy into dangerous because she just bites off Lafemme's fucking lip. Oh, it's so good. Well, okay, but but this also leads into a big kitchen fight scene mm-hmm. involving a lot of items that, well, I'm going to say that they're domestic. Women, they're, yeah, they're domestic appliances that these women are using to hurt and maim each other. Yeah, so we've already had the knitting needle. We've had the scissors. Let's bring in a full-on Scrooge-style set piece trace where we whip someone in the fucking face with a toaster. A toaster! I I love it. I spent a good chunk of this being like, what is that? And then I was like, oh, it's a toaster. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm. I love this. I'm on record as being disappointed with Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight because it takes place in an apothecary full of interesting items and we just use guns to shoot at each other. Yeah. I love this movie because we are using so many fucking everyday items as potential weapons. Give me weird weapons all the time. Oh, yes. That reminds me of this Indonesian film called The Night Comes For Us. It, everyone, oh, if you have not yes. seen this, it's on Netflix. It's very much like a raid type movie where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. like two warring factions of a gang. But if you're looking for, oh, random household appliances and things everything lying around can be used as weapons, this mm-hmm. is the movie you need to watch. <laughs> oh, it's so fucking satisfying. It's oh, that movie kicks all kinds of ass. So good. Also, of course, yeah, lead actor is Joe Taslim, who's from The Raid. So that's where I was going to get my raid connection from there you go yeah (laughs) anyway (laughs) anyway okay so sarah gets the toaster to the face but as i suggested it's always one for one so she ends up burning lefem's fucking face okay so again great i just keep saying fucking in front of every word i'm sorry this movie does this yeah i i totally understand this again great idea it's just that the fire is so cgi that It looks bad, but it's not a prolonged enough shot Mm -hmm. like the baby stuff to irk me. It's just like, oh, this could look better. Yeah. I mean, the resulting facial mutilation from the burns look amazing. I'm always a sucker. And actually, it's so funny because Christopher Nolan does this with uh, Aaron Eckhart in The Dark Knight when he becomes Mm. Two-Faced. When someone's face gets burned so bad that a hole burns in their cheek and you actually can see their jaw. Ooh. Yeah, and that's what happens here, and it's great. I would also argue this looks better than The Dark Knight. Um, I would say I think yes. his face looks really fake. Well, I think no, it looks but, very CGI-y. Well, here's the thing, though. I, I agree with you. However, mm-hmm. I do think that the nighttime setting makes it helps this, whereas a lot oh, okay. of Aaron Eckhart mm-hmm. and Dark Knight is like in broad daylight. Yeah, because bear in mind, we have not reset the circuit breaker, so all of this has been happening in the dark. Uh-huh. So yeah, you, you can tell what her face looks like, but it's still kind of covered in shadows, so it's like, oh, it almost makes it scarier. I mean, we do get it when Sarah finds her with the flash, because oh, in a moment, right. you know, she'll go looking for her using her camera to try to illuminate things. But 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 not before she gives herself a fucking tracheotomy. Oh my god! So I'd forgotten about this moment. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I mean, as the nightmare forecast, she has difficulty breathing because she is still having contractions because she is still having this fucking baby. yeah she gives herself a self tracheotomy and then she closes it up using duct tape the most reliable household utensil you can possibly find does blood not negate the adhesive on duct tape 
Ah, uh, I think that's why she wraps it around her yeah, full just to make neck. sure it really holds. She clearly does not trust it. But part of me was like, I don't know if she needed that. Doesn't she still need to hold a breathe or something? I don't know. It didn't. Well, I, I, th- I think once you get the clog out, then you're maybe fine. I mean, I, mm-hmm. look, truthfully, good theme of movie night movies with like random tracheotomy so we've got this Ooh. we've got anaconda mm-hmm. um the heat is one with a good tracheotomy oh okay yeah but i can't think of it so everyone p- p- put forth your tracheotomy <laughs> programming <laughs> oh uh, there's one that i cannot recall for the life of me but it definitely involves somebody using a pen Oh God, that sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. That anyway, sounds... it's fine. It's yeah, fine. it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. So tracheotomy handled, duct tape applied. Also, let's make a spear. Oh God! But also, let's learn why this woman is doing this to you. Finally, absolutely. Yeah. So we've got our final girl score kicking in hardcore. Sarah is on the offense. She's taking pictures to try to illuminate the scene we get to see all of the body parts all over again so we're seeing everybody's dead corpses lying around the house and then we finally find la femme and yeah she gives up this villain origin story which is hey i was in the other car that you crashed into i was pregnant except i lost my baby bum 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 Okay, so I'm bringing back McGilvery, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this idea. Okay. So the spectator, therefore, becomes more inclined to sympathize with La Femme because she is a mother who is unable to cope with the loss of her child. In this sense, the extreme violence perpetrated by La Femme seems more meaningful and almost rationalized. La femme is everything a modern woman is not supposed to be, and yet under patriarchal culture, she may end up the hero for killing the unnatural, non-maternal woman. Oh, <laughs> Isn't that a weird way to read it? That, I mean, I, 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 I can see where she's coming to that um Mm -hmm. where she's getting that read from i I should note that this is her drawing conclusions from you know alex west as well as burton and a couple of other places so i i don't know for sure that that is her thought as opposed to like a summation of other people's but this idea that we could flip the script and look at la femme as somebody who's saying yeah you know she's adhering to these culturally mandated norms she's behaving like what we would expect a mother to behave like like look at the extreme she will go to to get a baby Mm. fascinating yeah i mm, god i guess before this point though you don't quite empathize with this woman because you you just know her as this dark figure who's trying to take this baby and kill this woman Mm -hmm. does this add empathy for you with this character so to me, it doesn't because she still seems like she is mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Like this is not the behavior of a rational person to me. Even if her motivation is clear to her, the idea that she is willing to kill all of these people to get like this is a revenge story to me. And I don't think that she's well. Yeah. Well, but you can still empathize with someone who's not well. So I, I, I oh, so- sure, sure. But I, mm, I think because we don't know enough about her. Like, she's not right. a character to me. She's almost a specter. Yeah, no, I can totally see that. It, 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 to me, I guess, at first glance, mm-hmm. this reveal isn't 
it makes sense, but it's not always wholly satisfying because it's like, oh, right. of course that's what it is. So, so yeah. <laughs> again, when, when you hear about more imbecile, okay, yeah, but they had a man. Oh, let's make it a woman. Well, what would a woman be? Why would a woman be doing this to another woman? Uh, mm. Of course, a baby thing. And I'm like, right. Th- that kind of to me is like, okay, that's like your basic, like, yeah, that's probably the first answer you would jump to. Of course it's about a baby because women like babies and they like pregnancy and stuff like that. It's almost a little patronizing when we put yes. it that way, isn't it? Now, here's the thing. Does it work? Yes. Yeah. In the guise of this film, yes. Yes. But it's very much like, a, oh, okay, like that's the best you can come up with. So it, it's not really <laughs> a, a gripe that I have with the film, because I, I don't think any of the narrative aspects of this film are particularly revolutionary, you know, outside mm-hmm. of, yeah, it's a woman versus woman. That's great. We love to see it. Um, yeah. There's nothing that's particularly subversive about the content outside of the violence we have in this film. Right. And the fact that it's women doing it to other women. Absolutely. Um, so yeah. do I wish there was maybe a little bit more to this than just you kill my baby? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also appreciate the simplicity of it. Right. Which works for an 83 minute movie. Absolutely. We don't have two hours to kill. (laughs) Give me an expeditious film with hardcore violence as opposed to a long, contemplative, meditative three hour film. This is an A24. Fuck that. (laughs) You know what? There is an audience for both. And I love that for all of us. Yes. Okay. So we're we're still taking pictures because I feel as though Sarah wants to document this woman so that, okay, I've got proof of who she is. We can put her away when all of this comes to pass, when it's all done and over. Uh, and then the lights come on, Trace, because oh. BAC officer number three... He is still somehow fucking alive, even though he is blind. So he's alive because he was shot at close range with a riot gun. Mm. But a riot gun is filled with beanbags, not with bullets. Yeah, so he is fucked up and he mistakes, presumably, Sarah for La Femme. Uh And he begins beating her on the belly with his billy club. I mean... It is so fucking rough. You see red tinted fluid fall Mm -hmm. out from between her legs. And yeah, that's why I was like, yeah, her water did break earlier, but her water really breaks right now. I don't know how this baby survived. Actually, do we even know if this baby survives this movie? Uh, We do hear it cry at one point after the cesarean, but then in the closing moments of the film, it's unclear. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, so this guy beats the fuck out of Sarah and her baby. Um, Yeah. So she goes down and LaFemme ends up protecting her because, of course, this dude is getting in the way of my baby. So she spears him to death repeatedly. This is brutal. brutal. It is hardcore. Yeah, it's really rough. <laughs> and this guy doesn't really even know what's going on. So you're just watching him get stabbed in the armpit, in the chest. And it's, ah. Uh. This is also when everyone, um, play dead. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, wait for it to be over. Treat it like a bear attack. Absolutely. More people in horror movies need to do this. If you're getting strangled, do your death rattle and die, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah, we all need to be Oscar caliber actors to get through this. But uh, everybody work on your death scenes just in case you need them. Don't. Oh, my God. I I always think about um, uh, Lee Whannell in Saw whenever he has to smoke that cigarette and pretend to die. (laughs) 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 and maybe kick the leg a couple times and stop 
But this guy was in the clear. He was good. They thought he was dead. But he thinks he's still protecting her. I know. I know. But now he's it a all fucking makes idiot. Sense. It all makes sense. It's You're just, just uh, beating a pregnant woman. <laughs> 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 Terrible. Okay, so he is dead. This baby is fucked up. We have seen another baby POV. This baby is shaken baby syndrome at this point. So Sarah begins to go up the stairs. And <laughs> she's still doing her crab walk thing so that she can see LaFemme coming at her. But she's like, she has taken so much at this point. And she starts calling for mommy and she worries that the baby is stuck. And LaFemme is there straddling her with her scissors. And so we perform a cesarean section trace i mean okay so <laughs> i cannot emphasize enough how little my feet were on the floor <laughs> watching this scene the build up to this too because so she first cuts a hole in her shirt or her dress or whatever hmm. but then there's another layer of clothing under that and the, the, bear in mind sarah's covered in blood so this is so like much blood blood and like oh it's wild cut to the second layer of clothing and then yeah mm -hmm. we we flat out see and hear the yeah. blade enter her pregnant belly as she just starts cutting it open. And that's that to me is not even the worst part. The worst part is when we then get this like shot, an overhead mm -hmm. shot, a, a close up of the stairs. Yeah. As blood just pours down the stairs. It is an ocean of blood. Ocean. An ocean. Yes. It is just so much. And I mean, it's really, really hard to watch the scissors cutting into the abdomen like it is really really rough and i feel like the movie has prepared us with that opening attack sequence when she got it in the first cut in the belly right right but i think in some ways this is clever right like we see enough to be wincing and just overwhelmed by the cutting of the belly mm. and then we don't need to do that because we can just be like here's a lot of blood because you know exactly what's happening like, she's pulling that baby out, guts, blood, everything is going everywhere. They show her hand entering the uterus and just digging around for this baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so on Faculty of Horror and also Bodies of Horror, you can hear women talk about, yes, this is what cesareans are actually like. I mean, obviously, you would have an anesthetic. You wouldn't feel anything, hopefully, below the neck. But it is people just cutting into bellies, digging around, because you got to pull the baby out, but there's stuff in your way. So you've got to take that stuff out so you can get the baby and then put everything back in. And that's why cesareans really fuck up women's bodies, because we have taken out your internal organs and put them back in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really that as simple as that, Joe. <laughs> it's fucking messed up. And this is modern medical science. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I just, I, so yeah, this baby is out. Um, mm -hmm. Sarah is dead. Yeah. Okay. So before we get to this moment, this is the point of contention that I have. Okay. We've already brought up one challenging reading from McGillivray, and this is not her perspective. This is a, a reading that she has brought forth that I've seen other people espouse as well. So 
Sarah comes to the realization that she must allow La Femme to cut the fetus out of her. It is at that moment that Sarah's attitude towards motherhood appears to shift. She is now willing to sacrifice her own life in order to give her unborn child a chance at survival. Sarah makes a martyr of herself, an act that restores the film's balance by freeing both women from their guilt. La Femme now has the child she believes to be rightfully hers, and in doing so... Sarah is no longer suffering with the pain she has been carrying, both literally and figuratively. Um, I don't buy into this reading. I don't believe that Sarah ever willingly says, I'm willing to die so that you can rescue this baby. She does say, I think it's stuck. But she's also crying for her mother. Like, I think she doesn't even realize that this is La Femme. I, okay... So I think based on what I'm thinking now, there are a plethora of readings to be made of this. Um, I don't I did not buy into the whole. Oh, yeah. Now she cares more about the baby than herself. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I actually almost see this more as a kinship between her and La Femme. OK. And she understands the transgression she made against her. So it's not I'm willing to sacrifice myself to let my baby live because my baby is what matters. And I'm a good mother now. Right. It's. Hey, lady, I understand and I feel bad for you. I'm dying. You can have the baby. Here's my baby. (laughs) That's how I read this scene. Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned what happens when she gets hit in the belly by the billy club. And hypothetically, that is the kind of straw that breaks the camel's back, right? Right. Like, Sarah is not going to survive this. And if she dies, the child will also die. So... You could say, okay, she makes this realization, the baby needs to live, and here's this woman who really wants it really badly. I mean, it's tricky because we don't have any kind of voiceover. We don't have any kind of verbal exchange between these women. Not in the way that clarifies how does Sarah actually feel? Is she giving into this? She is just crying. I just, I don't get the idea from this movie that Sarah's arc is she needs to learn to be a mother and learn to love to be a mother. I don't get that idea from this film. I don't either. And well, I I can understand why you would make that assumption or get that read from this ending. Mm -hmm. I personally wouldn't subscribe to it. I would, I, I view this as she has given up sounds too extreme it's not that she's given up but i I, she's been through so much yes but i also feel that she understands where la femme is coming from so it's like Hmm. and that's why i said earlier i was i want another five minutes with her and la femme in this moment even though right she's bleeding to death it feels like they have made a connection so it's not a queer Mm -hmm. connection necessarily although i think you could read it that way based on what we've already said right i just i think yeah i think i think she is Doing her penance almost she, this, this, hmm. it, it, in all of this. I, 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 that's what that's how I read it. That's fascinating. I have kicked this back to listeners so many times in this episode, but I think even though on the surface this seems like such a straightforward text, I think there's so many different interesting readings. So I'm going to do it again, folks. I want to know your thoughts. Yeah. What do you make of this ending? Do you think that this is? penance for killing la femme's baby do you think this is sarah accepting oh I, i'm not gonna be here i need to give this baby over to somebody else yeah it's, is it's, this it's a sarah giving up yeah yeah but you're you're right so sarah is fully fucking dead we do hear the baby cry as la femme settles into the rocking chair but when we end on this frankly iconic final shot you know what i'm gonna do it when we end on this 
fucking iconic final <laughs> shot of La Femme sitting bathed in red light. Okay, wait, wait, just... wait, wait, wait. but before we, so we have her in the rocking chair, but then we do, because we have to check in on Sarah to see how she's doing. Mm-hmm. We have this overhead shot of Sarah's oh, corpse, like open so stomach mean. with the umbilical cord, like hanging out of her stomach down the stairs. Like it is. Yeah. And then we get this close up of her eyes and she's, I mean, she is fully dead. Dead. As so a drop dead. of blood, it's almost a blood tear falls down mm-hmm. the side of her face. It's it's mortifying. It's it's so upsetting. Yeah, she she truly was just a vessel for this baby, and the body is wrecked now. If you can even call it a body, yeah, sure. It is wild. Also, like this is prosthetic work, and it looks, oh, it looks so great. fucking it look, good. It looks, ama- it looks amazing. But, I, but I'm sorry, I did steal away from you. So yes, this iconic... No, it's just, yeah, this this final shot, right? Like, it's kind of divided into two. We get to see La Femme settle into it, but then we go to Sarah's body, and then we come back. And again, it's not clear if this baby is alive. It's not making noises anymore. La Femme is not making noises anymore. She just seems to be contentedly rocking. I read this as she could be dead, the baby could be dead, they both could be dead. Mm-hmm. Is this the red light of a new day dawning? Or is this, ooh, we are awash in blood and this is like the red moon over everything? It's so poetic and tragic at the same time. I mean, time. Because, because you've already mentioned the allusions to Jesus in the Bible. Is this meant to be like a Virgin Mary, like holding mm-hmm. her baby Jesus type thing? I, I Absolutely. Don't, I mean, uh, and, and realistically, um, this woman will probably die from her wounds. If not, I she's, think so. she's going to prison. Uh, oh, God, yes. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. And that's where we leave this amazing christmas horror film this 83 minute long movie that is just a fucking ride i mean if you have escaped from watching this film and not felt something i don't know it is such a thrill ride for me and i think that's why i love it that's what i realized on this rewatch is that it is so tight and it packs such a fucking punch yeah Mm -hmm. it just and and it doesn't lessen for me. Every time I watch this, I realize I've forgotten a cu- about a couple of things, and they hit me really, really hard. But also, there's just so much sustained attention, and I think the gore is really well used. Like, yeah. this is not an easy film, but it it knows how to make its violence count, and I think it's just so well done. Yeah, I, I don't think this is a perfect film. I mean, again, we, we I, I have voiced my various complaints or critiques, but none of sure. them are movie-breaking for me because what works about it works so goddamn well and it is mm-hmm. undeniably very effective I, I, I'm ashamed that because I'd only seen that unrated, uh, the, uh, the R-rated cut before this I was like well what's so bad about it why is everyone up in a tizzy about this movie <laughs> I get it now I, I do get it um, mm-hmm. yeah I, I think this is a really really effective film and one of the more cohesive French Trinity films that I've seen all right, there we go. I'm happy that, not that you had a, a turnaround on it, but that you actually got to see the film in its intended well, way. <laughs> well, I, I think, okay, I, I think you could write it off as, oh, wow, so there's more gore in it and more violence against women, so therefore Trace is happy. That's not what I'm saying. No. But, 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 but again, for the intent behind this film, you need those, the, all hmm. those shots of violence and gore. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's ultimately what the film is all about, right? It's the extreme lengths that both of these women will go to to survive to get what they want, whether that's a baby or surviving in order to birth your baby. Yeah. And then go back and look at that American remake, which outside of the ending is a serviceable copycat of this film. I think that Rachel Nichols and Laura Herring do a really good job in that Mm -hmm. movie. They are just let down by a weak-ass script. Although, funny enough... This, so, A, one of the screenwriters on that remake is Yalme Balaguerro, uh, one of the guys oh. behind the Rec series. Right. Okay. He was supposed to direct it, but that didn't happen. So, the guy they mm. got was Miguel Angel Vivas. And that name may not mean a lot to you, but he did a really, really intense home invasion slash rape heavy film called Kidnapped or Sequestrados from 2010. And I have to believe that's why he got this gig, because if you have seen Kidnapped, that movie is Mm -hmm. on this movie's level of like, oh, shit. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Content warnings all the way, violence and and rape for Kidnapped. But seek it out if if you have the stomach for it. But when you watch that, you're like, oh, yeah, I could totally see how this guy would mm-hmm. be chosen for the Inside remake. And then it just doesn't work. <laughs> well, and and that's the thing, right? If you feel like, oh, we're amping up the violence and that's what it takes in order to make an effective film like, fuck you, you misogynist and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Go and check out that remake because it does pull its punches And it shows you what slightly less effective direction can do where it does feel not pedestrian. That's a little mean spirited, but it just it doesn't pack the same punch. And then when you change the ending so that you let the Sarah character live, it just it robs the film of all meaning. And then it really does make the violence without purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I I complete agreement. So, I, I mean. Honestly, I feel like most people that love this movie don't even know there's a fucking remake of it because it was just, it didn't get a theatrical release. It nah. came and went. Like, and no one liked it. No. Again, it's not a horrific movie. Like, I've seen yeah. far worse films, but it's just mm-hmm. when held against the original, it's, I mean, it's just weak sauce. Yeah. And, and obviously, you and I have had the conversations about remakes up and down all over the place. We're not against them at all, like, if there's a purpose, but it's especially these new French extremity films and then some of the the grimmer films, right? Like the yeah. Goodnight Mommy remake where they just are toothless and it makes me wonder, why did you bother? Well, and you know what? We will be having this conversation next year, I think next year, when the remake of Speak No Evil comes out. Oh, boy. Because yeah, that's going to be interesting. I will say I watched that movie with the fir- for the first time uh, in the past month. And uh, even mm-hmm. knowing what happened to the end, because it was spoiled for me, I was like, it was still very effective. But I couldn't, I couldn't help but think, why are they remaking this? <laughs> uh-huh. And are they going to keep what happens? Because if they don't. What's the point? There's no reason to make that movie again. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Anyway, that's our diatribe on remakes like that. But <laughs> this has been Inside, everyone, or Al Interior. God fucking damn Not it. bad. I Not know. bad. I, I, I can't do that. It's like a... <laughs> you know when things I hit about you when she's like... <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Let's keep doing it until everybody stops listening. Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's like ASMR sound. Just Trace doing the friend's <laughs> sound. Oh, God. Anyway. Okay, Joe. Well, um, any final thoughts on this before I wrap us up? It's amazing. Love this movie. Thank you so much for letting me to go on long about it. No, no, 
don't know. By all means, I'm glad. I'm glad that I came. That came again. I didn't dislike this movie. Before. I liked. It. I just like. I get. I get it now. I get it. There we go. You're fully on board. <laughs> Well, okay. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, just some quick housekeeping to get out of the way. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel uh, once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. Uh, if you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We did release at the beginning of this month our uh, Spotify wrapped results, so go uh, do that. We had a lot of growth this year. It was really fun. Mm-hmm. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, you'll get 276 hours of Patreon content, including mm-hmm. this month's new episodes on A Creature Was Stirring, When Evil Lurks, Leave the World Behind, it's a Wonderful Knife, and our audio commentary on William Friedkin's The Exorcist for its 50th anniversary. What a way to close out the year. Wild, wild, wild. Uh, Joe, mm-hmm. I think we're continuing our Christmas theme or holiday theme next week. Uh, what are we talking about? It's true, yes. Week number two. This is also going to be the last regular film episode that we're going to do. We'll wrap up the year with our best of the year. So, uh, Trace, we're going to shift gears dramatically and do something much lighter, much happier, much more musical. We're going to talk about (laughs) Anna and the Apocalypse. Uh, Everyone, have you never seen this? This is a a delightful gem of a horror comedy musical. Uh, I thought, watch it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, and of course we actually have a queer character, Canadian. Uh, And she's the choreographer of the film. There we go. Uh, But until next week, everyone, we can cross out inside or à l'intérieur. Even better. Look at you go. I'm rolling my R's instead of hitting my R's, so it's fine. Okay, we're done. We're done. (laughs) And cross out horror queers. (laughs) 